Amen. Wow. Good morning, everybody. He is risen. Yeah, that was good. Well done. Well done. You know, like, um, well, first of all, if you don't know me, if this is your first time here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here at Infusion Church. And uh, afterwards, you know, we're going to be hanging out right over here. If it's your first time, please, uh, I would ask you, come up to me, introduce yourself to me. I would love to get to know you. And as, as Ming said, we're going to be doing a, a lot of celebrating with the music and, and focusing on, on the word and then fun stuff afterwards. We're going to celebrate more with, you know, egg hunts and carne asada tacos and all that good stuff. And also at, at the end of this uh, service, uh, we've got several people who are going to get baptized this morning. And we're really excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if, if you, by the time we're done, if, if you didn't plan on getting baptized and you want to get baptized uh, this morning, uh, we can talk to you um, back uh, by the cross after the message is over. And maybe you didn't bring a change of clothes. That's okay. It's warm outside. You'll dry off in no time. You'll be, you'll be okay. All right? Um, as, soon as, as soon as I'm done here, um, I'll meet you over at the cross. And while they're singing, I'll explain a few things uh, to you, but it's just such a great day, and I love being with all of you. So here's the thing about Easter. Every single Easter, people from all over the world flock to churches. Sometimes attendance increases by 40% or 50%. Sometimes churches add like two or three more services just to handle everybody. So why do so many people get drawn to church on Easter? Well, I, I think there are a lot of reasons, and I think those reasons are probably a little bit more significant than picking up colored eggs in the grass, right? Here's the thing. After talking to so many people, I think it's become incredibly clear to me that one of those reasons, that the main reason is that Easter has absolutely everything to do with hope. Everything to do with hope. You know, when we look around the world, we, you know, we're overwhelmed by problems. There is oppression and self-righteousness and loneliness. There are AIDS and judgmentalism and cancer, terrorism, pollution and, and, and hunger, and the list goes on and on and on. Problems that seem to have just no easy solution. And so people around the world are filled with hopelessness. You don't have to look very hard for that, do you? You could just look at your own life, right? Things aren't going the way they, they should be going. Things are very wrong in your life right now. And maybe you're just overwhelmed by the loss of your job or you're crushed by the loss of a relationship or you're crushed by debt or crushed by sickness or, or death. But when we gather together for Easter... To celebrate Easter Sunday, we are here to celebrate that the tomb is empty, amen? amen? See, we are here to celebrate that Jesus is risen, that there is hope for you, that there is hope for me, there is hope for the world. And you know what? This is not the, kind, you know, the shallow hope, the, the wishful thinking kind of hope. This kind of hope is a promise made by a God who makes promises and always keeps his promises. It is a hope that 
that can be counted on because it is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. You know what that means? It is a living hope. But what is it exactly that we're all hoping for? Again, I've talked to a lot of people and hear what's going on in their hearts and, and, and their lives, and it seems to me that after listening uh, to um, what's going on, is that we all hope that the deepest longings of our hearts will be fulfilled. And what are our deepest longings? And I think as I listen, they, they can pretty much be boiled down to one of three things. is security, satisfaction, and significance. I think it all comes down to one of those three things. In the passage of scripture um, that was just read that we're going to be looking at this morning, Peter tells us that faith in Jesus, that, that faith in his death and resurrection, that is what fulfills our deepest longings. And he tells us that we can have it now. We can experience it right now. Not completely, of course, in this lifetime, but when Christ returns or we go to be with him before he does. This short passage teaches us that when you know that hope, when you know that promise, you can rejoice even when you are weeping, even when, when, even when life seems to crush you. You can rejoice even when you are suffering because this living hope endures beyond the grave because you know that Jesus has triumphed over death. So, if you're taking notes using the handout in, in your bulletin, Peter says that what you received from Jesus is so powerful that we can rejoice in suffering, even in suffering, because Jesus' re resurrection gives us what we really need. First, we see that it gives us radical significance, and we're going to see that in verse 3. Now, I don't care who you are. Every single one of us has a deep longing for significance. We want to know that our lives matter, right? We want to know that, that, that our lives count. We want to know that our lives aren't going to be wasted. We want to know that, that our lives have value. And every single one of us turns to something or someone to make us significant. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you are poor. We all look to the same things. We look even good things like work and family and achievements, approval, appearance, whatever it is. What is it for you? What is it that you got to have to know that your life has significance? Well, here's the truth about it, whatever it is that whatever it is that you look to for significance will control you. It will absolutely control you. Whatever we look to for our significance will, will drive us to get what it is that we want, whatever it takes. And then we'll get anxious if it feels like it slips through our fingers, or, or we'll get angry if, if someone blocks us or gets in our way, or we'll get depressed if it slips through our fingers and we totally lose it. But even if we get it, whatever it is that we're striving for, we'll get empty when we get it. We'll feel empty when we get it. Because here's the problem. Whatever it is that you look to, I'm telling you right now this morning, it can't deliver but we keep chasing it, don't we? Because when you achieve it, you'll feel happy for, oh, about one minute, right? 
But, when you, but then you exhaust yourself trying to hold on to it or get that happiness back again. And here's the deal. Anything that you look to in this world to give you significance will be devoured by the grave. Okay? You know why? Because it's not true significance. It is not a living hope. But God gives us radical significance. Do you see what verse 3 says? It says this, According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Other translations use the word new birth. And what is new birth? Well, new birth gives us a new identity. And what is our new identity? Our new identity is that we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the living God, the creator of the heavens and earth, the one who holds it all together and is charting out history. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Does not get any more significant than that. That is radical significance. The problem is that we have heard this so much that it doesn't really excite people that much anymore. Yeah, 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 tell me something that I don't know. Well, I think we need to constantly be looking at it in in new ways to really have an appreciation for it. We need to see in the scriptures that while the Bible does teach that everyone is a creation of God, it also teaches that it is only those who experience new birth and awakening to the resurrection of Jesus, only those are the children of God. Now try to imagine it this way, the difference this makes. Okay, imagine you go to bed tonight, you go to sleep, and you wake up here. You wake up in Buckingham Palace, right? How cool would that be? You wake up to a world where the Queen of England is your mom. And everybody's going calling you prince or princess, and they're bowing down to you. And everything that is accessible to royalty is now accessible to you. Can you imagine that? Pretty awesome, huh? Being a child of God is better. It's better. There is absolutely no comparison. My question for you this morning is, Do you know who you are? Do you know if you are a child of the living God? Do you know if you are a son or a daughter of Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth? Who cares about the Queen of England? Right? Jesus, through his resurrection, shares his sonship with us. Through his resurrection, Jesus says that we can pray our Father in heaven. Through his resurrection, Jesus brings you into the Father's presence and guarantees that every time that you go to the Father, he will welcome you with open arms and a smile on his face. And it's all because of Jesus' resurrection. It's all because of, of Easter Sunday. Okay, so what difference does all of this make here and now in, in, in our life? You know, starting at a very, very young age, as early as I can remember, I felt this oppression. An oppression from 
what I demanded of myself and then not being able to pull it off. Anybody else here struggle with that? Yeah? That was oppressive to me. And to be honest, I still wrestle with that. But at times, when, when, when things could, could be at their most discouraging, by God's grace, I'll actually remember sometimes that I'm a son of the living God. And it changes my whole perspective. Now, it helps when I think of how much I love my son, Dakota, or, or my daughter, Shay. Here's a picture of them. Can you guys see that? Um, apparently, we didn't, give, we didn't care too much about childproofing, whatever that was. <laughs> I, I, don't call CPS on us. They lived. That's a win, okay? <laughs> Dakota's almost 18 now. My daughter's 15, so they're doing all, they're doing all right. Yeah, they're still alive. It's, it's a good thing. Well, listen. When it comes to my kids, of course I celebrate with them when they do something kind for someone. Of course I celebrate with them when my, my daughter just cracks me up or, or I see my son just quickly learning how to drive a stick shift. I mean, it's kind of cool and I encourage them. Of course I, I celebrate them when, when they, they comfort my wife, Shan, uh, my wife, Shannon, in her sickness, in her illness that she has, um, or, and when they help her, or, around the house. But I do not love them just because they perform for me. I love them because they're my kids, right? You know what? I even love them when they disobey me. They might not think so, but I do. <laughs> I do. All right? Now, if I'm like that as a flawed father, how much more loving is, is my heavenly father, my perfect heavenly father? He does not love us because we perform for him. That message gets lost so easily in churches, especially all over America. God does not love us because we perform for him. Your identity and your significance is found in being his son. It is found in being his daughter. What difference would it make in your life if you got that? I mean, if you knew that was who you are, if, if, if you could rest in the fact that your heavenly father loves you, that your heavenly father likes you, that your heavenly Father um, delights in you, that your heavenly Father, God of the universe, enjoys you. What would your life be like if you got that? And he is not going to change his opinion. It does not change from one day to the next. You know why? Because it doesn't depend on you. Thank God. And it doesn't depend on me. Thank God. It depends on our Lord Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. Now, you know what? It can be so easy for me to fall into putting my hope for significance in my performance, either as a pastor or, or, or a father or a husband. And you know what happens to me when I put my, my when I kind of, make my joy conditional on how I'm doing as, 
or attach my significance to how I'm doing. You know what happens? It sucks the life right out of me. I completely lose my, my joy because I can't even live up to my own standards. But I grow in joy when I remember that my significance does not depend upon my performance, but on Jesus' performance. That's grace. That's grace that changes you. Jesus lived for you and gave you credit for it. He died for you and gave you credit for it. And through his resurrection, you have been given a new identity. That's what verse 3 is talking about. If you are a child, you are a child of God. There is nothing more significant than that. And you know what? Even death can only make your true significance in Christ a fuller experience. That's number, that's number one. Through Jesus' resurrection, we can have radical significance. And second, through Jesus' resurrection, we can have true satisfaction. And we'll see that in, in, in verse 4. Every single one of us has a deep longing for satisfaction. We want fulfillment. We want comfort. We want pleasure. And light significance, we put our hope in someone or something to satisfy us. And it could be sex. It could be vacations. It could be a special person. It could be sports or hobbies or movies. It could be food or drink or a lazy boy chair and a 144-inch flat screen TV. Do they even make 12-foot flat screen TVs? That's what I want for my birthday. Okay. <laughs> now, those are all good things, very good things, right? But like significance, whatever I put my hope in for, for my satisfaction will control me. It'll control my life. It'll shape my relationship with God. It'll even shape my relationship with people around me. That's true for everybody, right? Ultimately, it cannot deliver what it promises. Like addicts, we always want more, and more never truly satisfies. But God offers us true satisfaction. Look, look at verse 4. It says this, that God has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And we see satisfaction here in the word inheritance. An inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, that can never fade. Now, why do I say that inheritance is satisfaction? Well, what's happening here, Peter is making a reference to Old Testament Israel and their inheritance in the promised land. A land that they described as, as a land flowing with milk and honey, which sounds weird to me, but it was awesome for them. Okay? I don't... I don't know where that came from, but for them, it was an expression they used to describe a land that deeply satisfies. But this promised land, you need to know that this promised land was just a pointer. It just pointed uh, to something else, to something greater. You know what it points to? It points to our dwelling in God's presence. The psalmist says to God this. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures. In other words, one day I will be fully satisfied. And I won't have these frustrated 
cravings that just ruin me. See, here's the thing. God created you for himself. And your heart will never be satisfied until you experience the fullness of a relationship with him in his presence. And you need to understand that it is beyond anything that we can imagine or hope for. But even now we can taste it. Even now we get a glimpse of it. And the problem is this. The problem is that no one, not one of us, has the right to enter into his presence. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus is worthy to enjoy the eternal pleasure that is found in perfect community with God. And yet through his resurrection, he gives this true satisfaction to you and to me. All right. So, what is this concept, these ideas? I mean, what difference does it make in our life here and now? Listen, let me tell you something. This June, Shannon and I will have been married for 22 years. 22 years, right? Nice, huh? 1994 right there, when I wore hair. It was 21 Jump Street hair, but it was hair. (laughs) We've known each other for going on 30 years. You would think we met in preschool, right? We met in 1986, and I was 14 years old. Listen, over the years, Shannon has become my friend, my best friend. She's become the love of my life, and she is a better wife than I deserve. I remember a time before kids, in all seriousness, being totally gripped by fear. And my fear was this. What if something happened to Shannon? What if, what if she died? And I remember talking to a friend about this out, out, out loud, and I told him this. I was thinking about this very seriously. And I told him, uh, no joke, that I imagined that I would be so despondent that I would lock myself into the apartment and probably drink myself to death, right? That's not healthy. That's that, but I'm telling you, we set ourselves up for that kind of thing so easily. I was convinced I would not be able to go on. What is it for you if you lost it? you just know that you wouldn't be able to go on. So I was gripped by fear with that because I knew it could happen. It took me a while to get over that fear. Why was, I, why was I so gripped by that? Two things. First, I had put my hope for true satisfaction in Shannon. I was looking to her to be my ultimate joy and to be my ultimate pleasure in life instead of God. And second, you know what? I used to think that my life was irrational. Lock yourself in a party and drink yourself. That's irrational. But actually, if we put our hope for ultimate joy in someone or something other than God, then the thought of losing that person should fill us with fear because then life will become meaningless, right? And God delivered me from that fear when when I remembered that God himself is my true satisfaction. Now listen, I absolutely love Shannon, and if she goes before me, I will grieve deeply. I will be a total 
wreck, but in the midst of my grief, by God's grace, God promises me a deep joy that will sustain me. He promises a joy in spite of the tears, knowing that Shannon's satisfaction and my satisfaction are not ultimately found in each other, but in the Lord God Almighty. found in the Lord God Almighty who through the resurrection of Jesus has given us himself. God is our true satisfaction. And then last, God gives us a dependable security. And we'll see that in verse 5. Every single one of us has a deep longing for security. We want control, right? We want to be strong. We, we, we want stability, good things. We want to know, I think, that we're going to make it. And that's the problem right there, isn't it? A lot of times, you know, we think, yeah, God makes these wonderful promises, and I believe that, that, that God will, you know, keep his end of the bargain. The problem is, I know that I will not be able to keep my end of the bargain. Listen, if that's where you are, I, I want you to know I totally understand. I was growing up, I grew up, in a home where I heard the good news of Jesus on a regular basis from my parents, right? But some, my, my eyes were blind to the truth. And, and you know, the, the deal was, even though they told me about God's grace, I still had this understanding that my relationship with God was dependent upon me keeping my end of the bargain, right? I came to realize that I never could keep my end of the bargain, I didn't have what it, what it took. And you know, what, you know what happened when I realized that? I went off the deep end. I, I, and here's why. Because I told myself, I know that I can't be good. So I will just enjoy being bad. Right? And man, did things get dark. I, I mean, it left me absolutely empty and desperate. You know what? I've talked to so many people who uh, you know, preach the Bible and say, do this and you'll be okay with God, who just come to their senses and realize they can't do it. And they said, I'm out of here. It's easier just not to be a part of this whole deal. They weren't hearing a message of, of God's grace and how it changes you. It was when I finally felt empty and desperate. That was when my eyes were open to the truth. The truth that no matter how good someone might seem to be, no one can keep their end of the bargain. My eyes were open to this incredibly bad news. And you know what? It was worse than I thought. Far worse. Turns out all that I could ever do or anyone else could ever do is earn God's wrath. That is bad news, right? Destruction in this life and the next. The bad news, though, led me to see my need for grace. It was then that I finally understood God's good news. And whether you realize it now or not, this is the best news you will ever hear in your life. And the good news is this, that God kept your end of the bargain for you. God lived up to your part of the deal for you. He gives you credit for it. And it's all of his grace and his grace alone. 
Peter says in verse 4 and 5 this. He says, your, your inheritance kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It says that you are guarded by God's power. That is your security. Our hope is not in our strength. Thank God. Our hope is in God's strength. And the same power that keeps your inheritance in heaven is the same power that keeps you secure now. If that was real to you, imagine what your life would be like. You would be fearless. Absolutely fearless. So how can we have this significant satisfaction and security? It's a gift of God's grace. Again, verse 5 says that it is a gift that is received through faith. Through faith. We receive the salvation through faith, but not just faith in general, but faith in the one who has kept your part of the deal for you. According to the Bible, your part of the deal involves obeying God perfectly from day one. Every single one of us have totally failed, including and especially me. But God, in his great mercy, has come to us in the person of Jesus as our representative. And as our representative, Jesus obeyed God the way that we should have. And then he went to the cross and took the death that that we should have gotten for our disobedience. He died in our place as our representative. And faith ultimately comes down to this. Who are you putting your hope in? Where is your hope? Is your hope in Jesus or is your hope in yourself? If our hope is in ourselves, then then, then we're in trouble. And God is left to judge us based on our messed up record. We haven't kept our part of the deal. And we are left to pay for our own sin ourselves. But if your hope is in Jesus, then God has already punished your sin on the cross. God has already declared you as righteous. God has already declared you as perfectly obedient, and that will never, ever change. I'll close with this, verse 6. Peter says, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the result. It all comes down to this. Where is your hope? And this morning, if you're saying, I'm not sure, or if you're trusting yourself, then you need to see what, what I needed to see back then, that, that you're lost. And, 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 and in fact, you might not feel that right now, but one day you will. And my hope is when you do feel lost, you'll remember this message. And I want to be clear about something. If you feel lost, that can change for you. He simply calls you to transfer your hope from yourself to Jesus. Trust yourself and you crash. Trust Jesus and you are saved. Trust his perfect record. And my encouragement, I plead with you, do that this morning. And then you can rejoice even in severe trials. 
Some of you are Christians. You've heard all this before. And if you're like me, you've trusted Christ, but you're still acting like it all depends on you from time to time. And what we need to do is um, realize that we can't create our own significance, our own satisfaction, and our own security. My encouragement to all of us is to remember where your real hope is. Your hope is in Jesus. That Jesus, who's risen and, and rules and reigns as king and who keeps your inheritance in heaven and with the same power that he keeps you, he will not let you go. You are secure. You have your significance and your satisfaction only in Christ because he kept your part of the bargain for you. This is your living hope. This is the good news. This is what changes your life and fills you with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And you are now free to proclaim the good news in both word and deed and the difference that it makes in every single area of your life for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Easter is about. This is your living hope. Amen? Amen. Would you please bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. God, we, we thank you that by your grace, you open our eyes to the reality of how lost we are without you, and then you draw us to yourself. You are a gracious God. God, less left to ourselves, we will be condemned. We thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves. We thank you for Jesus who became a man lived for us, died for us, rose again to give us new life. God, I pray if there's anybody here that has not trusted you to be to the, their deliverer, to be the one in whom where they find their, their satisfaction and their significance, the one in which they find their, their security, their eternal security, God, I pray that you would give them the faith to believe in Jesus and trust Jesus for that. Give them the courage to follow Jesus. And God, for the rest of us here, help us, please forgive us for turning to so many other things other than you, things that just end up ripping us off anyway. Help us to remember of the joy that we have in you even when it seems like everything has been taken away from us. Fill our hearts with the knowledge that, that we are your sons and your daughters, not just some fact that we agree to, but God, I pray that in our heart of hearts, we would know that we would experience you as our loving Father. We pray this in your name.